you're listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we are joined by Sarah Weaver with Aria Design. Sarah is a coach, an investor, and a badass retreat host. Sarah, thank you so much for joining the show, and it's great to see you again. Thanks, Sterling. Yeah, it's great to see you. Thanks for having me. Sarah, can you give our listeners a little bit of your background, where you came from, what you what you did before real estate, how you got into real estate, what you're doing today? Absolutely. So I am a nomadic investor. I have been living out of my suitcase for three years and three months now. And so I'm typically abroad traveling the world. And as of lately, I have been buying up small multifamilies in the Midwest, like Omaha, Des Moines, Kansas City. And I'm turning a lot of my units into furnished rentals. Not only is it a very hot and sexy topic, but it's also really great for cash flow. And so that's what my investing life looks like. Prior to real estate, I, well, I should say prior to being an investor, I was also in real estate. I have been working with real estate agents for the last seven years, helping them grow their team or grow their business. And now I'm determined to help them grow their portfolio. And so I coach real estate agents, um, both one-on-one and group coaching. Awesome. Where are you from? Originally Kansas City. Kansas City. So how did you get into coaching real estate agents in the beginning? Where, where, yeah, I found, had, I found the job on Craigslist. <laughs> nice, nice. What was the posting on Craigslist that you responded to? Yeah, this was back in 2015 and I was determined to work remotely. Um, that was way before COVID, way before it became really accessible to sure. a lot of people. And I just knew that it was something that I needed for my lifestyle. And so I applied to get this 83 jobs back <laughs> in 20, 2015. And I had a spreadsheet. There was no way for me to even keep them straight. And so I was applying to jobs in that were posted in like Chicago, LA, San Francisco, even though I was living in Austin, Texas. And I think that the title was virtual interviewer because it was a recruiting company or a staffing agency that helped real estate agents add administrative staff. Okay. And how did you like that? Um, I loved it until about the 1000th interview. And then I was like, I don't want to interview another human again. Um, and thankfully the company recognized, Hey, Sarah Weaver could sell ice to an Eskimo. Why do we have her interviewing assistants when we should have her out in front of real estate agents selling our services? And then thankfully that's exactly what I did. Awesome. And then how did that transition? And I feel you in interviewing. I can't stand it. I have hired and interviewed so many people for corporate America. I fell asleep during the interview one time that I was conducting. <laughs> that, that, you probably made that poor girl or guy go home and cry. It was a zoo. It was a zoom interview. I, I might've not gotten caught. I don't know. That um, is really bad. It was, it was before COVID, but it was, it was remote. I was in Baton Rouge hiring somebody in DC. Um, you should, so, you should issue a public apology to that person. <laughs> if you're out there, I'm sorry. Um, I ended up hiring them. So does it really matter? Like they got the job. Um, so how did you transition from selling the service to buying real estate? 
Absolutely. So I bought my first rental while I had that job. Um, I was living in Denver, Colorado. So I started in Austin, moved to Denver, was living in Denver, working remotely um, for this company. I could live anywhere in the world. And I chose Denver, Colorado. And I, I knew that I wanted to own real estate. And I wish I could tell you this beautiful story of why, but it was, it was honestly a trickle. Like I How'd you know that. How'd you know I that? Think, and how old were you? Because I didn't even find out until I was like 30 that owning real estate was cool. So I knew I wanted to buy a house when I was 25 because I knew someone that I didn't know the term for it, but I knew she did what I call now, what, what I now call live in flips. So she would move into a house, uh, fix it up and then sell it. And then she got savvy and she started doing that, but then she would rent it out. And she was in Austin, Texas. So appreciation was also on her side in addition to cash flow. And I thought, holy cow, I should do that. And so I started looking at property probably, yeah, right at 25. And this just didn't have the, the information at my fingertips or the money, but more importantly, I was so focused on traveling. And so a lot of people, especially in the real estate investor community are always saying, oh, I, I wish I had bought sooner. I wish, I wish. Honestly, I can say with confidence, my twenties were so freaking fun that I'm glad that it happened the way that it did. And I think the the investors that live in the, oh, I wish I had, I wish I had, they're also going to continue to move into the future with that mindset and that frame that it's going to trip them up moving forward. And so instead I look back, I'm like, guys, my twenties were so freaking fun. I traveled to like almost 32 countries in nine years and I had a blast. And then I bought a rental property and realized the power of real estate and cash flow but I no regrets on not doing it faster awesome love hearing that and what do you spend most of your time doing today today I'm doing a lot of coaching so today um today in particular I had I have agent coaching clients who I meet with every week um I have about 10 um that meet with me regularly they're my 10 coaching slots I had two of those calls this morning and then I also opened myself up to one-on-one -on -one coaching with real estate investors. Um, and then really excited to announce that I also launched group coaching. And so had my first meeting with my spring cohort yesterday, and they are all investors that are committed to buying their next rental property as not as quickly as possible because we want to buy really good deals, but they know that they're going to buy something in the next 180 days. So what are your, what did you, what do you coach them to do? How are, how are they going to buy these properties? Yeah, there's a lot of mindset. Uh, we, we talked a little bit before the interview. I think that mindset and a mindset shift is needed for a lot of people, um, especially with how frustrating the market's been. We have, a, we're writing a lot of offers. We're getting beat out a lot. And it can really put you in a bad place mentally. And so there's a lot of mindset work that I get to do. Um, a lot of limiting beliefs that I help them fight through in a race. And then I help them take action. So I have essentially a framework. It's a, like a seven step framework to buying your next property. Most of these are real estate agents who want to invest, not all of them, but most of them. And they all live somewhere where it's a little bit hard to make the cash flow numbers work. So I focus a lot on, on out of state investing, which is kind of what I've been doing. Cool. Yeah. 
No, that's huge. Um, my best friend lives in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and he's like, dude, I'd love to do what you're doing, but the houses here are like 600 grand for three, two that rent, you know what I mean? And you hear a lot about that in California and, and, and New York. So, um, no, that's, that's huge. Are, are, are you, are you coaching them to, to buy like a, like a long-term rental? That's what you're going after is buying cash flow and long-term rentals. And then are, are you, are we like putting, I've got something on my finger. Are you, <laughs> I was rubbing something. I was changing dates on my dry erase board earlier. Um, you know that you know you, they make erasers. You don't have to use your fingers. <laughs> it was on the other side of the office. I didn't feel like walking over there, so I did that number. Nice. Um, and then, are you are you making? Are we making on market offers? Are we pulling the MLS and making offers, or do y'all talk about it? Because I I I don't buy I haven't I don't buy anything on market. You know, my yeah. mine's all off market strategy. I'm just I'm just wondering, kind of where your your you know training lies there. Absolutely. So, so your first question about long-term rental there, everyone's strategy is a little bit different in the group. Some people have 50,000 in capital. Some of them have, you know, 5 million in capital. It's a huge range. And so their strategy is going to be a little bit different. Some of them are interested in short-term rentals, which I help them with. A lot of them are interested in this medium-term rental strategy that I'm doing. And then um, most of them or a majority of them from there are looking at long-term. I do have one interested in mobile home parks. I have another interested in syndications and I have one flipper. And so I can help anyone with all these different strategies. But for the most part, I would say that we're all looking at um, at least a long-term hold. So a buy and hold strategy. And then if they're doing short-term, medium-term, long-term, I can help with all of that. So how are these, how are your properties managed? I am still self-managing. How many, how many are you self-managing? So I just closed uh, five days ago. I closed on my 17th door and in two days I'm closing on another duplex and that will be my 19th door. And you're self-managing from afar, the long-term, the medium-term and the short-term. All of it. How is how is that? It's stressful. <laughs> so let me let me tell your audience, I don't you, recommend it. <laughs> you're at the breaking point. So I quit managing my own properties at 18. I, yeah. I managed the first 18. And then I had a complete mental breakdown at 18. And I just gave it all away. And I'll never manage another property. I mean, under no yeah. circumstance. So what I'm doing is um, it's probably a Band-Aid, um, but for your listeners, I want full transparency on what I'm going through. And I have hired a virtual assistant and she is going to be my buffer between me and um, securing leases for my medium-term rentals because most of them come renew every three months and it's very easy, but it's time-consuming. Sure. Um, and so I'm going to have my virtual assistant do that moving forward. Um, for my long-term rental um, that comes vacant this summer, I have identified boots on the ground to help me and I will just pay, they're an investor and I will pay them to do tenant placement. I will continue to manage you, for now. How much are you paying for tenant placement? You know, we have not negotiated it. So I have done it in the past where I've paid um, per showing and then I handled oh, wow. the actual um, 
nonsense from there. But the, in this case, I want her to, to take ownership and handle all of it. And so um, she probably isn't going to listen to this podcast. So hopefully she'll accept 50% would, of first I would like rent. to assume everybody's going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> all right. In that case, Allison, I am putting my foot down. I will pay you 50% I of pay first 50%. month's rent. I yeah, there we go. So um, I've seen, you know, you know, I'm on my second property manager and my first one didn't charge anything for tenant placement, but they charged 10% a month to manage. And my current one charged, charges 50% tenant placement, but they only charge 6% to manage. So if you, if you like, if you do the math on like, if they stay, if they stay more than a year, I'm, I'm coming out ahead that way, you know? Um, but I've seen people take a hundred percent on the tenant placement. Um, I think 50% is good. I mean, it just, it, it really, it boils down to the area and, you know, it, it boils down to the area and it also boils down to your criteria, right? Cause like you could find a tenant, like I, I could find a tenant in a day, but am I going to, am I going to sit there and I'm not going to background check them and find the right tenant and like turn down six tenants and like, you know, show another 20 to get the right tenant because that's, and sometimes that's worth it. You know what I mean? So I guess, I guess that probably factors into how much you're going to end up paying as well. Absolutely. And I think, I, I think it's important to say that I self-manage because quitting my W-2 was a priority and replacing my income was of the utmost priority last year. And so in order for me to do that faster, I self-manage. Whereas if you're a listener and you have a high paying, high net worth job, do not self-manage. It is not worth your time. Pay a professional to do that. Good luck finding a great property manager and, and focus on your skill set. So now my skill set is finding great deals and acquiring capital. And so I should not be self-managing moving forward. And I won't. It's just taken a little bit. Even we talked about mindset. I have some scarcity mindset around money yeah. and it's hard to pay someone sometimes. So I feel, um, I feel good, Kevin, this conversation because uh, I, I haven't quit my day job yet. I should have, but I, I haven't because of the same fears and, and stuff. But I will say this about giving up my property management. Now it's, it's never run quite as smooth as when I did it. Um, at least on the leasing side, let me say that. Like I was terrible at maintenance. I can't fix anything. And you know what I mean? I don't even know who to call half the time, but I'll tell you that I was at like 98 or 99% occupancy because I mean, it was my stuff and I was meeting a tenant at seven o'clock at night on a Friday. And man, I was, I was, you know, salesman was coming out. We're getting this lease signed. You know, nobody cares like that. And so occupancy has not been the same when I manage. But what I will say is that like, I, I said 18 was, I, I effectively managed 18 units and then I bought a package that got me to 26 units and that's kind of when the shit hit the pan. But if I would not have turned, and I, I just, I couldn't give it up because I, could, I was calculating how much money I was going to be losing paying this property manager. And then you know, not only how much I'm physically paying them, but like factor in the higher occupants, you know, the lower occupancy and all that. Like I just, it, I could not handle it. However, you know, if I hadn't given it up, I'd still have 26 units. And yes, I, and, how many, I, and how many do you have now? Well, now I have 70 plus in my personal portfolio. I have a 70 unit apartment complex and a 54 unit apartment complex. I wouldn't have any of that. I, I'd still be like banging my head against the wall on those 26 units. You know what I mean? Yep. Saving 
$3,000 a month, you know? Yes. So I love what you said. You were calculating the money that you would lose, but what you weren't calculating was all the mind space that you got back, yeah. the time. Often it's actually the mind space that's it's, the it's problem. It's bandwidth. People don't, bandwidth. you know, and I, we talk about this when I talk about this with my, with my day job, you know, because it doesn't require a lot of time, but it, it requires bandwidth. It requires, like you only, like people always talk about, oh, I only have so much time in the day man, people are getting a lot of shit done with the amount of time of the day. What you need to manage is your, your bandwidth. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. every decision you make is one less decision you can make, you know, like, yes. like outsource as much as you possibly can. I love what you said earlier about, I need to spend my time finding great deals and sourcing capital. I had that conversation. I've had that conversation a hundred times. I was having it with somebody last night and I was like, we were talking about me hiring more people and outsourcing more things. And I was like, really all I need to spend my time doing is sourcing good deals and talking to investors because yeah. like, like I don't really, I, I, I don't really like a lot of the deal sourcing comes from the relationships and I just can't outsource that. Right. Like if yeah. I, if I have, if I have my assistant call somebody that, that like I have a good relationship with, they're gonna be like, dude, what the hell? So you can't even like talk to me anymore. He's got an assistant call me. So like, I can't outsource that, right? Or, or, or the the investor who's gonna give me $250,000. Like I don't wanna risk somebody and paying $12 an hour to- Well, also yeah, do you enjoy that? Like, do you enjoy the relationship piece? Exactly. I, that is another, that is another part is like that energy. I can have investor conversations and find deals all day long. I, I can do it 18 hours a day and never get tired. You know, what, what slows me down and makes me sluggish and gets my eyes crossed is staring at spreadsheets and filling out forms and you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Doing the, or, or sitting on the phone with energy, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. I, so. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you this great phrase that I heard just this morning. I I'm here at a co-working space in, in Des Moines, Iowa, which is where I just closed on a property and I met this guy and he, he's, he creates games. He creates video games for a living. And when he talked about it, even his posture changed, like his whole face lit up. He's a big dude with a big beard. And he was like, oh yeah, I love it. And I was asking him all these questions about games. Cause remember I'm a good interviewer, so I can ask good questions. Yeah. And I said, that sounds so fun. Like, is it fun? And he goes, you know what I love about my job is that the work doesn't feel worky. <laughs> and it, it really stopped me. And I thought, you know, I feel the same way. Like today is one of those days where I'm on back-to-back -back calls all day. And do I want five days a week like this? I don't, but the work doesn't feel worky. I freaking love my clients. Like one of them had a huge win yesterday. She went under contract on her first out-of-state investment because she followed my system and she is a woman of action and celebrating her and her wins like that, that makes everything worth it. Like I love what I do for a living. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I, I had that conversation too when I talk about retiring. My wife said, well, what would you do if you retired? I'm like, probably the exact same thing. <laughs> I'd probably just you know, keep buying houses and apartment buildings, you know? Like, I mean, like, what, what really, what would I do every day, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, so, so that's, that's, that's huge is, is and, and I, what do you enjoy doing and what lights you up? What changes your posture? What makes you smile when you talk about mm -hmm. it? You know? That's huge. And for me, it's what adds value to other people because I didn't get here by being an island by myself. 
funny enough, I lived on an island for 15 months. Um, but I, I, I have a support system. I have people that push me. I have people that I call when my contractor pisses me off or a tenant doesn't pay rent. I've got like a crew of people that support me and I make sure that I add as much value to them as they add value to me. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, and I as well. I mean, I've got, I've got all the, the unofficial mentors that I call, you know, every time something goes wrong, every time I'm, you know, it's, this is such an emotional ride, right? One day you're, or, or throughout the day, you're a genius and you're an idiot. You, you're going to be a millionaire. You're going to be bankrupt. Like, you know, the, the emotional roller coaster that we just, I mean, I mean, 80 times a day, from like sun up, sundown. Yeah. Uh, so it's, I, I, I often still have to get talked off the ledge and very much appreciate those people. And I try and in similar, I try and give it back as much as I can, you know, with the podcast and we have a meetup, have a meetup tonight. Um, and, and, and that's, what you're doing is so important because, you know, we talked about this before we started recording is like, you know, 99% of this is, is the mindset, right? I was, I was talking to somebody right before, like I literally hung up with them at, at um, 12.59 to get on this call with you. And what we were talking about was like, I'm not good at anything. Like, like, like if I think back on like my, you know, natural skill sets. Like I'm a slow reader. I can't type. I suck at Excel. Like I can't really concentrate. That like, like what I, all of my success is predicated to like the continual development, like personal development that that allows me to just keep up and try every day. Like fail every day, and then we get up the next morning. Like keep doing it and just not quit. It's yeah. like the like the like the like the Forrest Gump syndrome. You just keep going. You just keep going. You know. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's huge. And, and to get that, to keep going and to keep trying and to keep failing forward, you need the support of others. You know, yeah. you, you mentioned, you said, you know, what I find is people are lonely and it's so true, especially in this, right? Because their parents are telling them they're crazy. Their friends are telling them they're crazy. Like, there you go. You got a good job. Why don't you just go to the it, you know? And so when you, you know, a lot of people are lonely and they seek that, you know, they need that comfort and encouragement to keep going going forward and taking action. And, you know, when, when they, when they get rejected and they get 27 offers turned down, they need to make a, a 28th. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly where I was in 2020. I was living in a van, not down by the river, nice. but, by a, but by a waterfall um, in New Zealand. And I had 17 offers rejected, or I should say 17 offers. I wrote one under contract. I think four of those terminated all of them because the sellers lied about this or the renovations were bigger, et cetera. So 17 offers resulted in zero closings. And I was, I was really frustrated. I had felt like I had been kicked in the gut. And what's funny is I got asked later now that I've had success, you know, now that people don't think I'm crazy, they think I'm a genius. They say, Oh, did you, did you want to quit? And I'm like, no, I, I didn't, didn't even think about quitting. I cried a lot. <laughs> but I didn't even think about quitting. Like I am so determined and so certain, I should say, I'm so certain that I am going to build wealth from real estate investing that quitting's not even on the table. Yeah, for sure. What do you, what do you have to say for somebody who's just getting started? What advice, what piece of advice would you give to somebody who's 
who hasn't bought a single piece of real estate yet. And they're coming into this market, right? And it's like uber, uber competitive and everything's overpriced and nothing cash flows. Like, what do you, what do you, what is your, what is your elevator pitch to that person? Master the skill of analyzing deals. Master it. I don't care if you're bad at math or bad at school or bad at anything. I don't care. Anyone determined to invest in real estate needs to know how to use the basic spreadsheet and basic deal calculator. So master the skill of analyzing deals so that you don't buy a bad deal. Um, and then you need to practice. And so there's not going to be 20 available viable deals out there right now. And so analyze deals that just closed, analyze the property next door to you, analyze the deal that you, or the house that you live in, but analyze deals and master that skill is step one. What do you think makes a good deal? Uh, it's going to totally depend on everybody's goals. So, so like, like with a rental property, what do you, how do you analyze, how do you analyze a rental property and determine if it's going to cash flow, how much it needs to cash flow? What's your criteria? Yep. So I'm really conservative. I, at least I think so. Someone is probably more conservative out there is going to hear these numbers, but I use 8% vacancy and this is on a long-term buy and hold. Like let, let's say we're analyzing a duplex and I use 8% vacancy, 5% CapEx, 5% maintenance. And then I usually do 10% property management, even if I'm going to self-manage because eventually like you, I want to hand off that piece. So those are my numbers that I'm using. And then the pieces of information that I need to analyze a deal, because I get off, I get asked that often is I need to know what's the price that I need to offer that to, to win the deal. It doesn't matter nowadays what it's listed for. <laughs> we need to know what is it going to take to take this deal down? How am I going to finance it? How much renovation is there? What is potential rent? And that's potential rent. I don't care about current rent. I'm not buying the deal as it is today. I'm buying the deal as how amazing am I going to make it cash flow six months from now, a year from now. And then I need property man or uh, property taxes and estimated insurance. And if I have and landlord paid utilities, if I have those pieces of information, I can analyze any deal. And what's what, what's the end result? What is a what is a thumbs up? Like how many? Once you yep. subtract your twenty eight percent off the top, and then your taxes and insurance and mortgage off the bottom, what do you need left over? If I'm doing a long term buy and hold, I want it to at least be eleven percent cash on cash. Typically, okay. though, Sterling, I'm buying like sixteen percent cash on cash as a long-term, but if I'm doing the medium-term rental strategy where I'm furnishing it and I'm renting it out to traveling nurses, I want 18 to 38% cash on cash. And I'm getting those deals even today. So you're putting, when, so I, I, I burn everything. So I don't, I didn't put a down payment down in years. So nice. I don't calculate cash on cash because it's always infinite. When you're putting down payments down, um, how do you not run out of money? You have to start using equity partners and you have to burr every once in a while. Okay. Otherwise so, you do run out of money. You absolutely yeah, run out of money. That was, the, that was the lesson I learned after I bought my second house. I'm like, well, that was great. But now, and now it's going to take me a year to save up another down payment. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so when you say equity partners, what do you, what does your equity partnerships look like? And how does that affect this cash on cash number, right? So like, mm -hmm. um, I mean, if you have an equity partner and they're covering- For me, it's, for me, it's infinite. For them, it's less. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so yeah. that's, 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 that's my question is like, once you pay the equity partner, for you, it's infinite. What is your, like, what are you looking to get 
per door, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, get, I'm, I'm thinking like $100 a door after you pay your equity partner his interest and in, in, or her or whatever. And yep. then, you know, all this, um, which, what are you left with? What's coming into you? Um, yeah. So I'm flow. doing, I'm doing equity partnerships on these medium term rentals. So the reason why being an equity partner with me is attractive to my investors is I'm putting in the hustle of furnishing it. I happen to own a company, Aria Design, that furnishes rentals for investors. So I'm furnishing the unit. I'm also managing the unit. And then I'm maximizing cash flow by renting it out to traveling nurses. And so what I'm looking for is I want at least $500 of cash flow per door. I'm typically getting a little bit closer to 600, 700 a door. And then of course, then I'm splitting part of that with my equity partner. Okay. I got you. And, and that is in today's current environment where you're managing it. Correct. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So you're walking, you're, you are holding on to about $250 a door? Per, per door. Cool. 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 And how have your, how have your rentals been from an occupancy perspective? Have you ever had challenges? Because it sounds like a lot of times, you know, you're, you, when you buy it, your intention is to raise the rent. Have you ever, have you ever underwrote things? And, and I'm not, not saying that in a bad way, like we all want to raise yeah. the rent. And a lot of times we create better value, right? And make it nicer and that kind of thing. So like, have you, have you ever had trouble achieving the pro forma rents? Like, oh man, I'm gonna get this thing fixed up. It's gonna be written out for $1,800 a month. And then like you go to market and you're getting 16. Is yeah, great happen? question. I tend to be so conservative. So I'll give you, I'll give you two examples. So I bought this fourplex in Omaha and I thought I would rent out the units long-term at $800 and medium-term for $1,300. I just got a tenant that moved in five days ago, paying 1,775. Here's the best part. He moved in on April 1st. My tenant before him that was there for six months, also a traveling nurse, moved out on the 30th first at 10 a.m. My cleaner has asked that I stop having people move out at 10 and someone move in at three. (laughs) she, She wants a full day, which I agree. There are some little things that need to be worked on. And so, yeah, someone moves out at the end of the month and someone moves in. They don't always end up being the end of the month. Traveling nurses sometimes leave on the 12th or the 18th, but typically I have one night of vacancy. I have five furnished rentals in Omaha, Nebraska right now. And I have had nine days of vacancy since I closed on it in May of 2021 across all five units. How are you sourcing these traveling nurses? furnishfinder.com furnishfinder.com I need to buy that website <laughs> yeah um, especially now because all of the listeners of the rent roll radio show are going to go download it which is tons uh, <laughs> um, what uh what would you have done differently if you knew everything you did today if you started over today I wouldn't have spent so much time second guessing myself. I, I am a person of action. And so I like the coaching client from last night, her name is Amanda. Congratulations, Amanda. She's scared and she took action. And I, I'm really, I'm really happy to say that I did the same thing. I was scared and I took action, 
But if I could go back, my blood pressure probably would have been a little more sane if I just didn't worry as much. I always tell people I get just as scared as you. I just, there's something wrong with me. I don't get scared until after I jump. I buy it and then I start to freak out. Like I don't freak out before I buy it. That, that happened to me when I was 19. <laughs> I bought a one-way ticket from Chicago to Dublin. And it wasn't until I got on the plane that I realized I've never gone abroad before, but I go into things. I'm like, oh yeah, I got this. I got this. I've done this before. And I've stood on the edge of a platform to bungee jump. I'm like, oh yeah, I've done this before. And then you look over the edge. You're like, you've never done this before. (laughs) What are you doing? But yeah, confidence is not my, confidence is not my issue. (laughs) Right. So real quick, I want to hop over to our radio round. I just got three quick questions. Um, The first one is what's your favorite book? Oh, great question. Right now, it is the book that I'm reading needs That's a shout out. It's so good. I, I I read a lot, I should say. But this is Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. It has yeah. been recommended so many times. And if you're an audio book fan, you have to do the audible version because it's him and his ghostwriter. They do little commentary that you wouldn't get if you read the book. And it's yeah. it's blowing my mind. It's so good. Yeah, David Goggins is good stuff. What is your favorite quote? Um, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. <laughs> nice. How are you? Sorry, sorry, mom and dad. And then, uh, what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? Can I say travel? Definitely travel. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I'm always and, traveling. And what do you do when you're traveling all the time? And do you, you travel by yourself? I travel alone a lot. Um, This year has been really cool. I traveled to Guatemala earlier this year with a bunch of real estate investors. Um, Then a bunch of real estate agents joined us. Then I flew from there to Merida, Mexico with a bunch of people that I met at FinCon. So they're all in the FI financially independent movement. Sterling, I got there. I'm the oldest person there. And these 20 somethings are all financially independent. And I'm like, God, I have like, I found it. Like, these are my people. And so I'm really excited that now I'm actually going back to Guatemala in June and I'm bringing 13 investors with me for a real estate retreat in Guatemala. That's awesome. That's awesome. How can our listeners find out more about you, get in touch with you, invest with you, get your coaching program, go to Guatemala? Absolutely. Let's, let's travel the world together, you guys. So you can find me at sarahdweaver.com. I'm also Sarah D. Weaver on Instagram. And I love hearing from people. So if you're listening to this podcast and there's something that I said that you thought, heck yes, or heck no, um, I'd love to hear it. Awesome. Sarah, thank you so much for joining the show. I had a ton of fun. I know our listeners are going to love it. And um, I'm sure plenty of them will reach out to you. Thank you again for joining us. And we look forward to keeping up with you in your journey. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Cressworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at Rent Roll Radio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at crestworthcapital.com. 
We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.